You are listening to the official podcast of Grace Satumwa. How does systematic racism affect people who are not racist? Conversations about race are hard. Conversations about racism are even harder. Maybe that is what makes systematic racism so powerful. We can't talk about it. We can't name it. Because if we name it, we fear we could be accused of racism. So let's change the conversation. Today, we aren't talking about personal racism, the dehumanizing and evil things that a racist person might do. Instead, we are talking about systematic racism, the subtle and persuasive ways that our culture has misled all of us in regards to race and what we can do about it. Let's explore this in today's sermon based on Micah chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chris Childs. This might be the strangest way I've ever started a sermon. I'm going to tell you something. I know that you are not a racist. I know that seems like a strange way to start a sermon. I never thought I would start a sermon that way. But we have to start there before we can have any other conversations. I need to tell you, I know you are not a racist. I know you do not celebrate white supremacy. I've talked with you. I've prayed with you. I've walked with you while you're grieving. I've heard your stories. I know how much you love Jesus. I know how much you love other people. I know that you do not hate people of another color than you. I know you do not hate people of another nationality than you. I know you do not want to harm people of color. It is not your fault that as I was growing up, band-aids that claimed to be skin colored matched a white person's skin, but didn't match a black person's skin. That wasn't your fault. And you don't want it to be the case that a person with a black or Latino sounding name has to send out many, many more resumes to even get a job interview than someone with a white sounding name. I know that you are not racist. Racism does not define you. And and to be honest, just to stay focused on the main thing here for a moment, the thing that defines you as a follower of Jesus is just Jesus. Let's just sit here for a moment with that idea. Let's sit here under an apple tree, so to speak, and just soak in that truth Picture yourself just sitting there at the base of an apple tree. I don't know about you, but I connect with Jesus most when I'm outdoors and when there's quiet. Maybe that's why so many people love hunting. The only thing that defines you as a follower of Jesus is Jesus. So no matter what else happens in this life, no matter what you do or say or don't do or what someone else says about you, The only thing that defines you as a follower of Jesus is Jesus. It doesn't matter what you accomplish or what you fail at. The only thing that defines you as a follower of Jesus is Jesus. We have to start there. We have to start there. Because to have the conversation that we need to have about racism in our country, we have to start from a place of being grounded and rooted 
a place of strength and confidence to know that whatever else we talk about today, the only thing that defines us as a follower of Jesus is Jesus. We have this thought that comes into our minds that when the topic of racism comes up, that we're talking about the bad apples. And you know what I'm talking about, the bad apples, the bona fide card-carrying racists who violently are destroying our country with their actions and their words. And as soon as we start talking about the bad apples, we lose all interest, we lose all curiosity. Instead, we're caught up with making it exceptionally clear that I am not one of those bad apples. They must be out there somewhere or they don't exist, but I'll tell you, I'm not one of them. So today, I want you to know we're not talking about those bad apples. We aren't talking about this personal racism perpetuated by racist people. Those things are obvious things to talk about. Some of the things that we see on TV, we watch in a movie. We're not talking about the bad apple kind of racism today. No, today we're talking about the apple tree. When I first heard this analogy from Dr. Megan Ming Francis, when I first heard it, it really got me thinking about racism differently. If racism is a case of a few bad apples, then we just need to inspect the apples, check ourselves to make sure we aren't one of the bad apples, and then move on. But racism doesn't just affect apples. Racism is something that's infected whole apple trees. And we see the results in some apples more than others in the same apple tree, but it affects every single one of us. If the disease has infected the tree, then it's infected every single apple. You and me. And none of us can help it. When you look at your words and your actions and the thoughts and you see the results of growing up in a society that treats people of different colors differently, because that's what our society does, then you can't blame yourself for what our society has done. You can't take, no individual can take personal responsibility for everything that's happened in this society. You are connected to an apple tree. And the apple tree is infected with racism. And acknowledging that the apple tree that I grew on is infected with racism. The, the official word for this is systemic racism. It's in the system. It's painful. It's painful for me. And trying to understand it, I've been reading Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. I've read it a couple times now because it takes me that many times to fully understand it. Robin writes about how our fear of being called racist actually prevents us from interrupting racism as it occurs. So let's talk about the apple tree. Let's get curious about that. Let's get curious about the apple tree and why it is that the top earners in this country are predominantly white. Let's get curious about why. And why is it that the service industry is filled with people of color. Like, why is that? Why is it the service industry is filled with people of color and it's a service industry where there's low pay, low benefits, low status? Why is that? What's going on there? Let's look at the apple tree. Let's take a look. Because when we take a look at it, we either have to just ignore it, that doesn't work, 
Or we can say, there's something wrong here. But the other option is to say, well, and this, I've heard this before. I guess there's just a difference between the races and some people deserve the high position, some people deserve the low position. Like those are our options. We can ignore it. We can say some people just deserve their place. Or we can say there's a system happening here. There's a system that's bigger than any one person. We're not talking about bad apples. We're talking about an infected apple tree. Let's look at it honestly and ask curious questions. Why is it like that? Why do people of color get tougher sentences for the same crimes as people who are white? Why? That's It's a curiosity. The, the official court statements, if you look case by case, they, they run among along pretty consistent lines. For a white person, the judge often says this individual was a victim of bad circumstances and got entangled in with the wrong crowd. For a person of color, the judge says this individual is a hardened criminal who has no genuine remorse. Now, I don't believe these judges were bad apples. I believe these judges grew on the same apple tree that I did. And the seeds of this racial prejudice are in the tree. I believe we live in a fallen world and God is calling God's people to recognize the fall and accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist this evil. God calls us to ask curious questions like, why the movie The Blind Side, which I, I actually kind of enjoyed the first three times I watched it. Why did the movie The Blind Side portray a black boy as dumb, but he had the redeeming quality of protective instinct that helped him play football? Why did it portray his black neighborhood as violent? And why did it portray the white people as the heroes who rescued him out of his black neighborhood? Why was this only worth doing for this boy? Because he was good for a white school football team. And why are we okay with that portrayal of what it means to be black and white in America? God is inviting us today to ask questions of curiosity. As we heard our scripture from Micah, Chapter 6, earlier today. This is a passage in the Bible. It's, it's found in the Old Testament. It's a, a prophet, one of the minor prophets. And Mina, Micah is speaking from God to God's people. Because that's what prophets do. They give a message for today, for God's people. And the message is one of saying, I'm not pleased with the way that this is happening right here. God is saying, I'm not pleased and I don't believe you're doing the thing that's most important to me. And here, here's this, this great word. We saw this in verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and many torrents of oil? The idea of, will God be pleased if we just bring all of our gifts, if we bring a lot of stuff to God? Is that going to make God happy? Or what if we even give our oldest child, say, Lord, this child is now your servant. No, Micah says, no, it doesn't matter what you give. None of that matters to me as much as the way you live. It doesn't matter what you give as much as the way you live. 
Micah goes on and says, God has told you, human one, mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to embrace faithful love, to walk humbly with your God. Hear those again. This is important. I know this is a short passage, one of the shortest passages we've used, but this is so important. I don't want you to miss it. Three things. What does the Lord require of you? What does it mean to follow God? In a really broad sense, three things right here. Do justice. Do justice. Embrace faithful love. Walk humbly with your God. This all starts with curiosity. Doing justice. Doing justice. What that means is saying there's places in this world where life isn't fair. You know, as a kid, I used to say that life isn't fair. I had no idea. My life was actually very fair. Maybe it was very unfair. And how many opportunities I've had in life to do justice, to recognize the places where life's not fair for other people. To get curious, why is that? How can we ever do justice if we don't get curious about the sense of injustice? It's so common. I see this. I even feel this temptation in myself. When I hear someone say, this isn't fair, this is unjust, I want to say, it's not as bad as you think, you're fine. But what if we lean in? What if we get curious? What if we hear their story? How will we ever do justice if we don't get curious? And embrace faithful love. How do we faithfully love someone if we don't listen well enough to understand their story? To slow down, to listen, to embrace faithful love. And the last one, walk humbly with your God. To have curiosity, embrace curiosity in times that we would otherwise be tempted to defend ourselves. That's the essence of walking humbly with our God. We can all be humble in times that everything's going well and no one has any critique of us, right? I'm good at being humble when people say, Chris, you're doing so great. You're wonderful. Oh, you're so kind. I, I like to tell people I am one of the most humble people I know. But when someone has a critique and says, Chris, you could really learn something here. Chris, there's something going on here that you're not seeing. Are we defensive in those moments? Or are we open to learning something new? Because if we can't hear that we still have something to learn, if we can't get curious, we cannot possibly walk humbly with our God. And the people who are suffering, we see this over and over in scripture. When people are suffering, they cry out to God. We know this. We see this around us. We know it from our own lives. We cry out to God when we're suffering. And over and over in scripture, we see when someone cries out to God, people hear. People cry out to God, God hears. And when God hears, God acts and God calls his people to do something. The people who are crying out to God have God's ear. God knows they're suffering. And God is convicting me saying, Chris, here are some places 
that I'm calling you to walk humbly with me as I teach you how to do justice and how to embrace faithful love. Get curious, Chris, because there's something to learn here. So let's start by getting curious about the ways that our culture has taught white people like me to avoid conversations about race and how our defensive system stands in the way of that curiosity. It stands in the way of our walking humbly with our God. There are things that we say. We say things like, I've had struggles in my life too, right? I've said that. I've had struggles in my life too. So is it really the case that this individual is just having these struggles because of race or are they overblowing it? But here's the difference. My struggles weren't because of my race. We defend ourselves with saying, I've said this far too many times, I've been the victim of reverse racism. In other words, saying, well, look, there are times that there, there are programs where I remember when I was applying for college, there's financial aid available for people with, with a, uh, a uh, more diverse heritage than my own. And I said, look, I'm experiencing reverse racism. I wasn't able to receive that aid. But if it's really reverse racism, then why is it there's still proportionately so many fewer people of color in college, even with that aid? What opportunities did I have because of my race? And here's the other part that I'd like to connect with here that I'm learning. How does that statement of reverse racism function? How does it function? It puts the focus back on my white needs and my white experiences. And it moves attention, as has been happening in America for the last several hundred years, moves attention away from the needs of people of color. And here in our country in, in recent days, you're hearing a term called cancel culture and politically correctness, right? We hear about this, and I'm seeing this on left and right. This isn't a Republican-Democrat issue. This is something that comes up so often. Cancel culture, politically correctness. Oh, I can't even talk about this stuff anymore. I can't even have free speech anymore. But how, does those, how do those statements actually function? This isn't about politically correctness. This isn't about saying, let's say politically correct things. It's about asking honest questions about how do my words function? And is, are these kinds of things something that draw attention away from injustices so we don't have to look at them? Is that, is that what's happening? I keep going back to this concept of how do these statements function? Because this is where I see God inviting me to be curious of asking these questions. Let's get really practical. Let's get really practical and get curious and just start with this idea of acknowledging our own race. I ask you to actually whisper this out loud if you have the courage. Say, my skin color is, and then finish that statement. My skin color is white. 
if we can't acknowledge our own race, how can we talk about racism? Here's another one. My ancestors arrived in America from, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure, but I know there's some British, some Irish. I've heard some legends and stories. I'm not entirely sure how true they are. I, I think there's some German in there. But isn't it interesting, though? We have stories. We are nations of immigrants, and some immigrants didn't start out being considered white. Some immigrant groups, when they came to America, they had to acquire a status of whiteness to be seen as other people's equals. And again, there's racism there. And then to even acknowledge, can we acknowledge other people's races? Can we say, my closest friends are, are they white? Are they Asian? Are they Hispanic? Are they black? My closest friends are, and even if we say the phrase Asian, how many different cultures are caught up in that? And why is it true that your closest friends are of those races? Has anyone ever told you your experiences are impoverished because you don't have experiences with other people of other races. And it's a strange thing the way that somehow our culture still segregated us into races. Let's get curious. Let's acknowledge our own race. Acknowledge what's happening around us. Let's acknowledge this apple tree. And let's acknowledge the racist ideas that have been shared with us. Because you've received them, I've received them. I don't own these ideas. You don't own these ideas. We don't need to feel guilty for them because we didn't create them. But we've got to acknowledge them if we're going to address them. To simply acknowledge the stereotypes. Latinos are all... How would you fill in the blank? Black neighborhoods are... What's the stereotype? White neighborhoods are, black students are, Asian students are all. We have these stereotypes. Every time I left a pause there, you were able to come up with one. And if I gave you three minutes, you'd come up with a lot of them. So let's get curious. Who shared these with you? How did they share them? Did they share them directly or was it through jokes? Or was it through not saying things? One common stereotype is black neighborhoods are dangerous, but we don't say that's a black neighborhood. We say, oh, that's a rough neighborhood. But these stereotypes aren't necessarily true. In fact, they're false as often as they're true. Why did those stories those ideas get shared with you. What impact did they have on your decisions, where you've chosen to live in your life, who you've talked to, who you sat down next to, who you made friends with? Did the people who shared these with you think that you supported that statement? Or did they know you disagreed? And if you didn't ex express any disagreement, what kept you silent that day? So let's get curious. If we can't get curious, we can never address it. We don't need to feel guilty at this point. 
We don't need to feel guilty because we can just say, I grew on this apple tree. I grew on this apple tree. I did the best I could. I didn't know better. I was never given skills or training or an ability to do anything differently. If we can let go of that guilt, then we can stop defending ourselves when someone suggests that we said or did something that doesn't fit our values. If you have a friend of a different color, I'm willing to bet that you have said something or done something that at least connected with the discrimination they've experienced from other people. You, we grew up on this apple tree. That's, that's part of the way we were taught to live in this culture in subtle subconscious ways. So when we have someone that tells us, here's how I'm experiencing what you're saying, that sounds like discrimination. We don't say, well, you just misunderstood me. We don't defend ourselves. We don't say, I'm offended that you would think that about me. And we don't say, I didn't realize I was doing that. Actually, we want to say that, right? We want to say, I didn't realize how those words were affecting you. Tell me more because I want to understand. See, we can only get curious like this without defensiveness if we know our worth in Jesus. And then we can invite curiosity. We can lean in when we hear these problematic statements from other people. We can interrupt racism by inviting other people to be curious too. This is what scripture says in Micah, to seek justice. Now, some of you are saying right now, no, no, pastor, I don't interrupt racism. I don't want to do that. That sounds hard. That sounds sounds interpersonally challenging. That sounds a, a little scary. I might be misunderstood. I'm going to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a member of a United Methodist Church? At baptism and confirmation and membership and professing our faith in Jesus, every United Methodist makes this vow. We say that we vow to accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. What that means is that we interrupt racism. This doesn't have to be intense, but it's possible others will make it intense. This doesn't have to be confrontational. We're not inviting defensiveness, we're inviting curiosity. And we can only control what we do, we can't control what other people do. So how do we do it? First, we stop defending other people's racially problematic behavior and words. Remember, it isn't that we blame them, it isn't that we judge them. We're all growing on the same tree. And we all have this tendency of saying one race above another. Our culture taught us to do this, but we're seeking to overcome it. But we don't defend the statements of that and actions of other people either. We don't say things like, well, if you knew Joe, you know that he wasn't saying something racist. Well, actually, what he said did have that bent. We don't say, well, Jack treats everyone that badly. He wasn't being racist. First of all, if Jack treats everyone that badly, we really do need to confront him on this. Um, I mean, at least to say, Jack, I don't want you to treat people that way when you're around me. 
And we don't say, Julia was really hurt that you thought she was saying something racist. You should apologize. Because how's the, how do those statements function? How does it function when we, when we say that the person who was hurt by the racist statement needs to be the one to apologize? Actually, that's the question then we turn to is we say, how does the statement function in this conversation? I, I remember a day several years ago, I went to a Chinese restaurant after church with a group of people from my church and my hosts, the people who invited me were telling Chinese jokes as people of Asian descent who seemed to speak only broken English, they refilled our drinks, they served us. My host, my white host was telling Asian jokes, Chinese jokes in this Chinese restaurant. As people of Asian descent were filling our drinks, on that day, what did I do? I kept silent because I told myself it would be rude and against my values to insult my host by interrupting his racism. I wonder what this says about how much I valued my white host over the Asian hostesses. More honestly, if I'm, if I'm truthful with myself, I was afraid that if I spoke up, others would say something like, you misunderstood Frank. If you only knew Frank, you know he wasn't racist. Or Chris, just lighten up. But what, friends, what if I took a different approach? What if I had said, how's this joke functioning in this conversation? What effect does this joke about Chinese people have on our conversation when we're eating in a Chinese restaurant being served by Asian people? Maybe Frank and the other people at the table would have gotten defensive. That's very possible. Especially the, the way we struggle to talk about race in our culture. That's possible. And maybe they would have just changed the topic. Sometimes that happens. Like, like that's really common. But maybe we could have started an honest conversation about what it means when white people gather together and tell jokes about our racist superiority to the people who are serving us and who are being paid very little. We could have had a conversation about the way that this group of church people gathered together. And, and everyone knew it was right after church on Sunday. People were wearing their Sunday best. How is this group of church people representing Jesus to the Asians who work here? Remember these words from Micah. Do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. Friends, today we're being challenged to join in what God is doing in this world to seek justice, to embrace that faithful love, to walk humbly, even in a way that might bring about rebuke from other people, but in a way that would be curious. If you want to live wholehearted lives with Jesus with me, I ask that you say these, prayer, these words of prayer along with me on the screen. Would you pray this with me? Be present with us, Jesus. We admit we have not loved you with our whole heart. In our self-protection, we have failed to love the people around us. We have blinded our eyes to people who face injustice. 
We have even failed to love ourselves as your children. We ask that you forgive, heal, and send us to carry your love into this world by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you found today's podcast meaningful, we invite you to subscribe to all of the podcasts from Grace Atumla. Grace is a congregation of the United Methodist Church located in Otumwa, Iowa. For more information on this podcast or other information on the ministries of Grace Atumwa, you can find us on the web at www.graceotumwa, spelled O-T-T-U-M-W-A, dot org. Thank you for listening.